Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. And I am ready. We're going to have some fun tonight. Man, it is, it is good to be here on a Sunday. Um, I preach on Fridays a lot, so it's nice to be preaching on a Sunday. Shout out to the youth team and the youth in the room. May I say, we are also dominating the creative team tonight. <laughs> we had three non-youth team on, and so we will get to 100% soon. Uh, <laughs> but um, there is something powerful from teenagers leading teenagers in ministry and worship. And um, we had our bass guitar um, and two vocalists. We had a life group leader and then Joe and Ronnie, um, who are our faithful youth creative directors. Um, you, Joe on the microphone again, because I think that's where Joe should be. And uh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Man, I'll, I'll have that conversation that we had a while ago, Joe, and so I'm going to put a microphone in front of you. It's just harder when he's in the drum cage at youth. Um, but I, can I give you a quick update on what is going on in youth? Because believe it or not, most of you are not a teenager. Devastating. And if you all turned up on a Friday, we'd probably have some policy alignment issues. Thank you, Talia. I see that nod. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to tell you a little about what's going on in our youth ministry. Um, we're in for term two of this year, and we have just, we've kicked off with a bang. And um, we, are, we are passionate that we're not here to facilitate an entertainment service on a Friday, but we're here to build Christians and passionate Christ followers who do not graduate church. We know that the period where people transition from high school into young adults is one of the, the greatest fallout periods for people in the church, and we want to build foundations in them. We want to build disciples, and uh, I, I w I've actually got a couple of testimonies, a couple of text messages with, we've received only in the last two weeks that I want to share with you. And um, one um, is, is from a, a young teenager in our youth ministry, and he said, hey, Pastor Cam, that's me. <laughs> just had a conversation with blank and he mentioned that he would love to encounter God and that he has felt the real presence of God recently prompting him towards God I was able to share with him some of my own experience and feeling God's prompting in my life and encourage him to take this desire directly to its source by praying to God asking him that he would reveal himself I am super excited to see what God has in store for him Double prayer emoji, double celebration emoji, double exclamation mark. <laughs> what, what you don't know about that story is this young man has been walking with his friend for the last 12 months in a different part of our city over Zoom, um, over Instagram, over Discord. Who in this room knows what Discord is? That is a greater percentage than what I thought. <laughs> but he has been ministering to him. And um, we've had conversations around, so I'm not sure what's going on. He's, he's been fighting discouragement, but he sent me that text about a week and a half ago. Then we got a text message this week, and um, I won't go exactly into the details of the text message, but there was a, a young person in our youth ministry that um, we hadn't seen in a while, and so uh, one of our, our teen teams, teenage, teenage team, yeah, um, <laughs> reached out and said, hey, 
what's going on? And she's sent back saying, actually, I'm walking through some medical stuff right now, and the doctors have... Uh, anticipating a certain diagnosis over me. We've found some stuff in my body. And, um, and so sh then, then it's been a, a bit of a journey over the last couple of Fridays and saying, I want to come, but I can't. I've got to... I'm being actually called into emergency surgery. And um, then on the Saturday, the Friday after... Oh, the Saturday after the Friday, because that's how the week works, um, this person texted her again and said... I'm free from cancer, and there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Man, God loves people. Man, God loves people. I love what God's doing in this time. I was saying to the team, um, and I was saying to our teenage team too, it's like God is, is sending a covering before us like, like clouds, and it's our now responsibility to be obedient and walk in the covering that God's already extended. Of course, I gave a Lord of the Rings reference, but <laughs> for us here, I'll give a biblical reference. <laughs> Being like the Israelites who followed the cloud that went before them, we, we're, he, God is guiding us, and it's our responsibility to obey. And it's not in our own power or promise, but it's in the power and the promise of God that we just say yes. And it's our job just to keep saying yes. It is good. Well, we are coming into Faith, Love, Hope season. We've just wrapped up a series called Revive. And um, I forgot they were transitioning, so I'm going to talk on Revive still. <laughs> And um, I'm going to somehow relate it in, but it seems that the gospel is pretty uh, worldwide, so I'm sure will happen. Um, but we had, a, we had a, such a morning this morning with Pastor Corey Turner. Um, I'd honestly be happy to sit down and just watch a rerun <laughs> and just, just, um, just listen to what God is delivering through Pastor Corey. Um, but he, he came and he spoke in and around the power of the kingdom. The power of the kingdom is, you know, we serve a God that is powerful. We serve a God who has authority. In the beginning, God didn't maybe speak and something didn't happen. He spoke and the world happened. It didn't have a choice. It was the power of the word of God actually extended and covering for the earth and there was no consequence but for it to happen. There was no resistance. God is powerful. When uh, light turns on, darkness has to flee. It is the nature of the kingdom of God. And in this word this morning, he explained and he brought to light that when, when Jesus was on the planet, there was no sick person that came to him that walked away sick still. There was, there was this idea that uh, we, as, as the church, as the body of Christ, now that Jesus' actual body has gone back into heaven, he hasn't left the game and saying, okay, good luck. We are his body now on the planet. And we walk in the same authority and the power of God that Jesus did. And so when, when Jesus spoke with authority, it tells me, because the same spirit that lives in, him, lives in me, that I can speak in the same authority that Jesus spoke with. And we talked about this a bit, a la, a bit last time when I was speaking. But heaven is all about the redeeming power of God, and we are the vessels for that power. 
And so there is an expectation that as sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of this authority, of this almost call it family entitlement, that we can walk with the same authority. I love, uh, it would have been coming up to probably 12 or 18 months ago, Pastor Carolina, but you spoke around the revelation of family entitlement. It's like your kids don't have to come up to you when they're hungry, or maybe they do, I don't know how you run your house. (laughs) But they don't hesitate that what's in the fridge doesn't belong to them because it was purchased for them. And so there's a sense that what was purchased for us is our authority, so let us not glean back as if it's not like we have to be timid. We we can walk in the boldness. We enter the throne room with boldness and with with entering, we do not have to shy our face. He has chosen us. He has covered us with righteousness. We are now as right standing before God as Jesus is, which is crazy. Um, But in all of this, we see that wouldn't it be a shame for us to settle? Wouldn't it be a shame for us to settle? And what I want to talk a bit about tonight is around what you're expecting. When you're in your world, when you're operating, um, when you go into work, when you're waking up, um, I, I have some colleagues that's just got a newborn, and he is waking up at weird hours of the morning, and um, he's not a believer, but it's like, what could be for him? And he believes a certain thing about his life. I wonder what God's story for is for him. I wonder what you're expecting in your life as you go about your day. Are you trying to just make it work? Are you just trying to go to the right workplace to make you feel accepted? Are you carrying the Spirit of God and in that way go into any workplace and make it the right workplace? And there's this idea of, are we walking in the power and are we expecting the power of God to follow us everywhere we go? So we're going to read from the Bible because that's a good thing to do. And we're going to read from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14. It was actually mentioned briefly by Pastor Corey this morning. Um, My mouth is just drying up. Do you mind if I grab a bottle of water? Thank you, Pastor Dan. I'm assuming you drank this. We're friends. (laughs) Sorry, COVID-friendly people. (laughs) We're going to read from Mark chapter 9, verses 14, and we're going to live in this scripture for tonight. But it is Jesus doing some stuff that only Jesus does. It says, when they came to the other disciples, being Jesus and a couple of their favorites, they saw a large, large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, they asked him. Oh, he asked them. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I came and I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus burned. How long shall I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. You got a bit of like a bit of you can sense a bit of a sass tone. <laughs> so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, into a seizure. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, "How long has he been like this? 
From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to try and kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Then Jesus saw the crowd running to the scene. He rebuked the impure spirit. You said, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, get out. Come out of him and never get in. Go and enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed, and violently came out. The boy looked as much like a corpse, and many said, he's dead. But Jesus leant down, took him by the hand, and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? This is what Pastor Corey mentioned this morning. He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer, and other versions say prayer and fasting. The title of my message this evening is Expecting Revival. Expecting Revival. We're going to pray, Lord Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we get to be a part of this thing called the kingdom of God. Father, that you get to be chosen as sons and daughters of God, and we get to actually walk in the same authority and the same love and the same purpose that Jesus did. Father, you welcome us into your arms and you call us. Father, you come and heal us, you come and bandage our wounds, and you go and commission us saying, go, sin no more, and go make disciples of other, other people. So, Father, we pray that as we speak about your word tonight, you would deposit something in our hearts, more than a message, we would receive a seed of the Spirit that grows up and bears fruit in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I've only got 20 minutes left. Let's go. I like, growing up, I, my sister was like, I've got an older sister, by the way, fun fact. <laughs> Who's the youngest in the family? Yeah, for the youngins, we get away with way more than you all. We get everything earlier than everyone else. Um, and we get, yeah, fun stuff. Anyway, this is not about that. Um, uh, my sister loved roller coasters growing up. I'm, I'm sure she still does, but three kids is, means that she doesn't get to go on them as much anymore. And um, whenever we'd go to a theme park growing up, I just didn't like roller coasters. Um, I didn't like any sort of crazy rides. I'm, I'm quite a cautious, calculated individual. I will research the depth out of everything until I know exactly what could potentially happen in order to calculate the chances of that happening in order to do it then so I know that I'm not going to die. Sounds fun. <laughs> but I, I, I went in grade 12. We went on a, a, I don't know how this worked out, a business uh, excursion to Dreamworld. And we spent like 30 minutes talking about business. And then it was like, go play with the rides. I'm like, yes, I love my school. Um, <laughs> and I, this is the first time that I entered the roller coaster. And it was called something then. It's different now. But I discovered something about myself. I'm a roller coaster guy. I actually really like roller coasters. <laughs> and the experience, I had a certain expectation around it. And so when years later, after, uh, after I graduated, obviously, I got married. That's a nice thing to do after graduation, not before graduation. And um, Amanda and I went to Dreamworld together. I think we were on a holiday, um, and we thought it'd be fun. We got one of those passes so we could go up to the sky, the sky lookout at uh, Gold Coast, and it was all good fun. 
And so we entered Dreamworld this day, and it's been years since I've been there. Everything's changed names because that's how they keep things fresh. And um, it's just like the packaging, brand new look, same great taste. Uh, <laughs> I know, I'm, I work in marketing. So <laughs> uh, and we're going around, and I want to go on the roller coaster eventually, but before we do, we walk in, and the first ride you see is this thing called the claw. Has anyone been on the claw? I can just see from the general consensus of the room that we know where this is going. And so we see the claw, and you're like, I see many smiling faces walking away from the claw. People are like, ah, they're having a good old time. And so in me, there's a certain expectation becomes built in me. I'm like, this is going to be a good time. This is going to be a good time. This is like the same thing with the roller coaster where I had hyped it up in my brain, but it turns out I really like roller coasters. Um, and so we, the first thing we did, we got there and we went on the claw. And um, it turns out I'm a roller coaster guy. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a paintball guy. I like water slides. I know that I need to have um, seasickness tablets before going on the water again. But I'll tell you what, I'm not a claw guy. <laughs> we went on this thing, and I'm not sure if you know what the claw is. It's sort of, it just generally, it's like a pendulum swing. But there's a, a, a hinge somewhere on there where it's rotating at the bottom as well. So what you see is you see, ah, oh, people are having fun. Um, but what you don't see is their organs somehow deactivate within gravity at a certain point in rotation and then fun suddenly find themselves heading down and their screams of joy are actually terrified and their smiles are actually delusion because they're dying inside. <laughs> so I'm not a claw guy. So we walked away and we spent, I think we were there for three hours, we spent the next hour and a half sitting down trying to get unnauseated, <laughs> essentially. But I want to talk a little bit about the idea that um, what informs our expectation actually frames a bit of our experience. Because I had expected great and mighty things from the Mighty Claw, and it did deliver on mighty things, just not the mighty things that I expected. And there's this idea that Sometimes we experience things, we expect certain like outcomes and we can go, yeah, I expect to be able to, I don't know, do a push-up and when I do a push-up, it's not surprising. But when I go on the claw and my expectations get not met, there's an expectation gap and all I'm saying is we need to expect a move of heaven and the power of God as we walk in our everyday lives. We knew we'd expect revival to break out through the power of God that lives in us as we walk and minister through Him. It says in uh, maybe Corinthians, if not, it's the Bible, um, that we are the dispensation of the fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. It didn't mention anything about speaking or actions, though Paul does say that when he speaks, he does not speak with eloquence, but he speaks with demonstrations of power. And there's this idea that he is expecting heaven to come every time he goes somewhere. Even as he goes to a new town and what he does is he makes tents and he operates in trade, he still expects God to move in some way and somehow. Even if he's a prisoner in Rome, chained up, he still expects God to move as the, all the prison guards suddenly find out that he's in chains because he serves Jesus. 
And we heard the, uh, we've heard actually multiple times, it seems to be Holy Spirit trying to drill something into our brains, the idea of praising in the prison. And the idea that in the prison where we feel self-pity sometimes, it's actually the perfect platform for God to be glorified. And people watch us and expect us as Christians to act differently when we're under pressure. And so we need to expect that when we operate, that we actually operate in the revival power of Jesus Christ. You have the right to expect revival when you operate. And I, revival, I think, we, let's frame the word for a bit. I think we, can, we might see revival as something like a Billy Graham um, sort of, uh, what is it called? Crusade, thank you. Uh, a Billy Graham crusade, and we've just framed it in this box called Billy Graham. Or we, we might f- box it into just a, 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 an occurrence of a historical event, maybe like the Azusa Street Revival, where people saw God with such power, and we see Him break out. We, we might frame it, but I want to I broaden the frame a little bit, and I want to say revival is the bringing back of life. Pastor Dan O'Farrell brought a message a couple of weeks ago in and around Ezekiel 37, as Ezekiel prophesied to the dry bones, God asks him the question, can these bones live? That is a question of expectation. I wonder what would have happened if he said no. Maybe nothing. But he responds with the only good response being, God, only you know. Only God's power knows what could happen. Only, only this guy, this young teenager is investing in his friend. He's saying, I'm doing everything I can, but only God knows what's going to happen. And so we have the authority to actually speak into revival, and it's this idea of bringing life to dry bones. I exist in a workplace we're to exist and to bring life into my workplace. It doesn't matter what industry I work in, doesn't matter what my job description is, I, everywhere I go, my mission is people. My mission is people. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, he made dead people live. He did not come for the, the good to change their behavior modification slightly or to come and just battle with ideas and thoughts. He came to bring salvation and life and revelation to the world that he came to save. And so when we come and we enter into our worlds with the same spirit, we need to expect revival. My first idea for tonight is you need to let the Word of God inform your expectation. You need to let the Word of God inform your expectation. Let's dive into this story a little bit deeper. I know, like, we, as I said, we like to teach young people how to read the Bible. Um, and so one of the things I, I do with my life group is I say, um, put yourself in the story. Don't, don't just read it like an objective viewer being like, this is a nice story. You need to get in it. You need to understand what's going on in the moment. And so I want to I breathe, breathe into this and see what we can get out of this story of a desperate father bringing his son to Jesus with the glimmer of hope that something that only you know God. So we might say that during this time, this is actually a little bit into Jesus' ministry. This is, might be a couple of years, but obviously Jesus has been around for and operating in power, and he's and words sort of reached the different regions. That there's this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. He's he's a Galilean, and there's rumors. 
is this, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who's come? Is he a prophet? We don't know. But what we do know is every sick person that goes to him walks away healed. He's the one that brings um, chains breaking off. He, he releases people from demon possession. This is the Jesus. And so as this travels around the regions, people flock to Jesus because they hear the Word of God. And the Word of God is that which births faith in us. Hearing com- or faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And then there's a, there's a father. There's a father who has a, a son who's been desperately seeking out a way to heal his son. And he's given up on everything else, just like the woman with the issue of blood. He's tried everything else. He's in a place of desperation. Nothing else works. But then he hears a rumor. Maybe Jesus. Maybe Jesus. And so he takes his son, his mute son, and maybe he has seizures on the way. Maybe the devil, uh, demon within him takes control on the way, but he says, no, we're going to go still. We need to go and meet this guy named Jesus. And so he comes around. There's a crowd, and he, he goes to the crowd because generally that's where Jesus is, and he finds that Jesus is not there. But he does see, oh, maybe the disciples would do it. And so he speaks to disciples, and he's like, my son is demon-possessed. Can you cast it out? We got this, because every other time we pray for demons, they flee, right? Disciples are there, the religious leaders are there, and so they start to pray for this guy, and then nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens, and then what's worse for the father is attention turns from the desperation and the healing of his son to an argument about ideas, Attention, attention turns away, and we see that this desperate young father or father now is amidst an argument between two different parties about nothing. But then there's a couple of heads that start to turn, and a few other heads, and then 20, and then 30, and then all of the crowd's attention turns towards the mountainside as Jesus and a couple of people enter the town, and they see an amaze. And as Jesus comes, he runs to the feet of Jesus, and he's, and he's saying, what is this commotion about? What is this argument about? And he says, if you can do anything, do something, please. And Jesus says, if I can, if you can, all things are possible for those who believe. And he heals the son. I wonder what was forming that man's expectation. Because we see that maybe he heard rumors, he heard secondhand information, he heard maybe a message from someone else, but he hadn't heard from the source yet that this man was a healing God. And so he hears rumors from what God might be able to do. And so he goes and there's that glimmer of hope, but then as he meets the disciples and they can't, maybe there's an experiential gap that comes where his expectations aren't met, and that's never what we have, right? We never get caught in that expectation gap where God doesn't do what we think He should do. And He does something crazy. You can almost feel Him get discouraged. The disciples can't do it. But then then He sees Jesus. Ah, Jesus! He's actually here. And He runs to Him. And you get this honest tension that I, I don't know about you, but I can relate with the Father. Because I believe for things in my life and other people's lives, but I, sometimes I go to God and I'm like, if you can, God, and God's like, if I can. 
he's framing the expectation and he's saying, uh, if you care. And he, he speaks with such honesty as he exclaims, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. And I want to say this, that we need to come with the expectation formed by the Word of God because of otherwise our experience will. If you don't know the Word, you'll settle for the world. If you don't know the Word, you'll settle for the world. There's a, a quote by a gentleman by A.W. Tozer, and he said, Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of the Word of God. Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of the Word of God. We hear in this story that he may have heard rumors, but now he's hearing from the very mouth of God himself, he's hearing the Word of God saying, do you believe that I can save your son? And he says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. And say, I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. <laughs> but it, it is the very Word of God that actually sets our expectation for revival. We heard this morning the idea that when Jesus was taken out in the wilderness and tempted by Satan, he did not answer with just Jesus' words. I'm not sure about you, but Jesus is sort of the Word of, He is the living Word of God, and He still answers with the Word of God. His defense for the accusations and the temptations that are thrown at Him are, it is written. It is written. I wonder what you're experiencing in your world where there's an expectation gap, where you've actually lowered your expectation from the Word of God to the world, and you need to come back at it, and you say, I do believe, help my unbelief, saying, it is written that if God is for me, who can be against me? That if I offer in petition and prayer that the, the hope and the peace of God, which the transcends understanding, will guard my heart. It will be that even though an army surrounds me, I will, I will have peace that God is with me, that He is with me and He will never forsake me. This, this idea of it is written is actually the bar, the expectation that we bring our experience and our world to so we can actually walk around with the expectation of revival breaking in and out of us. Because if we don't expect revival, I wonder what won't happen. I wonder what won't happen. My other, my other idea is you have to keep expecting re revival. Um, I, I, I first came to this church, it'd be about seven years ago now. Um, I would have been younger. Uh, <laughs> and um, I actually, I was doing the, the Bachelor of Ministry throughout uh, university, shout out, shout out to CHC, you can go and inquire about that at the concierge desk, after. plug. Uh, <laughs> and um, part, of the, part of that placement, I'm not sure how the degree works now, is you sort of do like practicums or placements, like sort of like a teaching degree, you go into to do placements and that sort of thing. And um, I hadn't actually met Pastor Sam Carolina yet, I, I knew a, a gentleman by the name of Josh Pello who became Pastor Josh Pello, Pine Rivers, and now is leading a church with his wife on Southside. And um, an incredible, incredible voice into my life. Um, but he said, why don't you come up to Redcliffe? And so I did. <laughs> and um, part, of, part of that interactive, uh, interaction with the, with the university degree was um, I needed a supervisor to have supervising meeting, meetings with. And so Pastor Sam generously lifted his hand and said, I'll be your supervisor. And um, I remember one time he said, when we go, you have to 
you have to come with questions. And I understand now that that was not only so I'm intentional, but that's also, otherwise we'll both sit in silence because that's both of our personalities. <laughs> sort of being like, weather's great. <laughs> and um, the one question I brought to him once was, what is something that you see young, like take out young leaders most frequently? And he, um, thanks Dan. It was a good question. <laughs> and he sat there and he's, very pensive, Pastor Sam wisdom face. And he said, they're not in it long enough. And then he stopped again. <laughs> Do you remember? No. <laughs> he said, they're not, they don't last long enough. And the idea that to see something of substance, you have to last, or last a while. I remember in our first year of being youth pastors here, Almost the first six months, every meeting we had with Pastor Sam and Carolina said it takes a long time to build anything. And we're like, that's really good news for three years down the track, but <laughs> right now. And we sort of get a glimpse of this in this story because uh, there's a narrative in Matthew 17, 19 that tags onto the back of this same story where in, in Mark, it ends with Jesus sort of talking to the disciples and he said, fast and pray. But in Matthew 17, 19, he expands on a little bit and he says, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked him, Why couldn't we drive it out? Being the Spirit. He replied, Because you have so little faith. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, if you have a faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Isn't it such a a moment when Jesus says you have little faith and then compares that all you need is a mustard size, a mustard seed size faith. But if you actually dig into this a little bit, he's not actually just talking about the magnitude of faith. We, we talk about like, I need to add to my faith as if Jesus' uh, victory isn't enough. I need to add something to my faith and we turn it into a works mentality again and it becomes a me-centric gospel rather than a Jesus-centric gospel. And I'll tell you what, I can't save myself, yet alone anyone else. And so what this actually means is actually this little faith isn't about magnitude, it's about the length of time that you keep it in the fight. So you can have the faith as size of a mustard seed and it will move a mountain. But when the mountain doesn't move for a little bit, what are you gonna do? As fear starts to grip your heart, as fear starts to creep in and manipulate certain lies in your brain, you're going to choose to compromise, in which case it is a brief amount of time, or are you going to push past and persevere and keep expecting revival? Are you going to hold fast to the idea, the word, it is written? It is written. It is written. I'm not going to settle anymore for the fact that our, our region is known for certain socioeconomic or certain uh, mental health or certain uh, sort of oppressive realities because it is written. It is written. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. It is said that it is written that the peace of God will guard my heart. So I won't settle for anything like anxiety or depression or any sort of things like this. I won't settle for people telling me about things they do to themselves, addictions they have, because it is written. 
I expect, I need to, we need to expect revival. And even though we may have certain experiences telling us one thing, all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed, and you just need to keep it in the fight long enough in order to see it. Keep your faith in the fight. Keep your faith in the fight. You've got to keep on expecting revival. Keep on expecting the dry bones to live. Keep on expecting the sun to come back, the family to be reconciled, the marriage to find its hope, the family to be brought in. You need to keep on expecting. You need to keep on praying. And if, and if the weight of fear takes you anywhere, let it take you to your knees in order to stick in the fight. You know, faith isn't actually necessarily the absence of fear. It's the overcoming of it. I love the idea of God said, okay, I will, but I'm probably going to do it afraid. <laughs> I'm just going to believe in Him. He's going to make a way for me. Faith is not the absence of fear, it's the overcoming of it. I wonder what you're believing for. I wonder who you're believing for. I wonder if you're believing for family. By the matter of fact of our roles in this church, we know that there's families believing for family members. Teenagers tell you everything. <laughs> Like it's kids ministry. We know everything about the parents and kids ministry. <laughs> but I get texts too regularly about testimonies of things like self-harm. I'm, I'm sick of it. I won't let him win because he's already lost. He's not going to take another young man. He's not going to take another young woman. Because I'm expecting something for them. And if they can't expect it for themselves, the least I can do is extend my faith for them. who you're believing for. I wonder if you've been discouraged by experience, by reports, by other people's words, by, hey, just the length of time. Maybe you've just given up on it. Maybe it's too far gone that you forget what you're believing for. May I encourage you that the Word of God is living and powerful, and it is the greatest authority because when God spoke, creativity happened. Something happened. The Word of God will not return to Him void, it says. We just need to jump on that train, believe, and I will believe until I see it. I will believe until I see it. I don't matter how many nights of the week come out, the amount of hours I spend with people, the time I work with people, the mud I have to wade through, I will believe. I will believe. Thank you for listening. 
We pray that this message empowers you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We would love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We're so excited to see you there.